This hour of broadcasting brought to you by TwoWayRadioCenter.com, the Motorola value-added reseller. Welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. Brought to you by Vigilant Impact. The Church Safety Guys is a nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping the vigilant, those men and women who stand watch, keeping our houses of worship and places of faith safe. We believe church safety and security must be a ministry first and have engaged servant leaders who continually strive for excellence and teams of motivated volunteers that are always training. Join us for the next hour as the Church Safety Guys unpack safety, security, leadership, and ministry operations with your hosts, Dr. James McGarvey and Mike Scully. This broadcast is also available on YouTube, your favorite podcast platforms, churchsafetyguys.com, and on the original Church Security app. Download it today. Feel free to like, subscribe, and share with your ministry. Hello and welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. I am James and once again joined on this live broadcast by my co-host, Mike. What's up, Doc? (laughs) You were waiting for that one, weren't you? Hey, I haven't said it in a while, so I was like, all right, I'll throw it out there again. (laughs) Well, it feels like a long time and I will will offer an explanation. It feels like a long time because it's been a couple of weeks since we, we were on and uh, we were actually going to do a live broadcast last week because we do it every Sunday night. And uh, for those of you that are interested in catching up on our, our last episodes, uh, you're welcome to download the church security app. Uh, those are uploaded on that. And uh, you can also listen to them wherever you listen to podcasts. So Apple, uh, iHeartMedia, Amazon, etc. cetera. Um, but last Sunday, <laughs> drum roll. No, that's not necessary. But it was kind of interesting because um, I actually was informed that, uh, and it's still an ongoing thing. So I'm I'm not going to get into too many details. But I was informed that my uh, the pastor at my church kind of had some some uh, significant uh, threats against him and his family, and so. Um, interestingly, the world of church safety and security is very small. And so, um, an individual, I reached out to an individual that, uh, has followed our ministry for years, uh, in another state. And that individual was able to significantly help and, uh, um, actually knew law enforcement in the same community where this person threatening lived. (laughs) Good, good so connection right there. That was a that was a providential thing, but without getting into to too much details, you know, we're still we're still trying to figure out how serious it it was and that sort of thing. But um, for our broadcast, unfortunately, it was one of those things where you know we we uh, really me I got tied up with that, and so at that point I was like, you know what, there's no way that I can give time to this and and do what I need to do and and um, 
do the broadcast. So usually on our end, and one of these days we'll set up a, a behind the scenes look at what happens on our normal Sunday. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I don't think anybody wants to watch my kids running through the shot and, and screaming um, and yelling at each other. You know, <laughs> it is what it is, right? <laughs> your kids are, your kids are cuter than my kids. So <laughs> well, it's my not, kids are younger. So <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's why I said they're cuter than mine. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, so uh, apologies for for having to reschedule last week. Um, we're definitely uh, we we put out a survey on the Facebook groups of what to, what topics you want to hear about from us, and so. Uh, we have, I think we have one more episode, which is next week. And we're going to talk about, uh, which we, we normally do is we try and get in an episode about holidays and how to, how to prepare for large events for churches and places of worship. Um, and then at that point, I think we're actually going to, uh, take the rest of the year off. And so we can spend some time with our families and then, uh, we're going to come back in January, I believe, officially. But uh, we we are in the process of taking all that information, all those topics that you guys requested, and kind of categorizing them. So thanks for reaching out. Thanks for giving us ideas. And we certainly want to provide content that's helpful and um, uh, can be a blessing to to you and your ministry. So from that standpoint, uh, keep that coming. Uh, it was actually, I think it was a poll suggestion in all the groups. So if there's a topic that you would like us to, to chat about, uh, or maybe even a guest that you'd like us to try and, and get on to the broadcast, uh, feel free to reach out to us through, through that, or, you know, you can always email us through our website, which is churchsafetyguys.com. So other than that, um, there are piece of news. Oh yeah. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> well, this, uh, very recently the book, our latest book did come out Four pillars of church safety and security, uh, instant bestseller, uh, proud of that. And thank you all for those that purchased copies in, in the first week there, it did help us uh, place on the list, uh, and, uh, a rank, uh, so Big success sure. there, and we're raising funds with the sale of each one to donate to uh, uh, churches in, that were affected by Hurricane Ian down in Florida. So uh, yep. chance to give back and help out at the same time while launching a new book. Certainly was not on the roadmap for 2022 uh, to publish yet another, <laughs> but uh, uh, divine inspiration, uh, good partnership, good chance to good feedback from folks at our Texas uh, showing at a conference where we were down in August in Dallas and uh, a lot of good feedback there led to that book. So. For sure. And it definitely, um, I wasn't expecting to have an, another Amazon or an Amazon bestseller, but that was yep. Mike's official first <laughs> bestseller in co-writing. So that was, that was really cool. And we do have, um, we do have a companion devotional that's coming out and, uh, we're looking forward to that. It's in the the final stages right now of editing, and we're trying to get that uh, that together. So definitely think that that will be of of benefit. So we're trying to kind of use this time as well to catch up and 
and organize 2023. It seems weird to say that, but it does. it's coming up um, already. But the one comment on the book I'll, I'll I'll throw out there as well is what what's really great is the the feedback that we're getting is reaching pastors, executive pastors, oversight pastors, associate pastors, and how they're seeing it for uh, broader than just safety and security. Uh, obviously, yeah. we, we write with that lens because that's the ministry that we've served so long in. But at the same point, many of the principles that we bring forward in our books apply to other ministries as well. And it, that's resonating. That message is is hitting. Uh, and we've had a few different uh, um, lead pastors, executive pastors provide their um their feedback already as to what's going on in that book and how it could help their teams. So very excited. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, we always, we try to, before we publish something, we always try to, to send it out to a bunch of different people, get reviews, get feedback and that sort of thing. And, and, uh, all of the feedback that we've received has been extremely positive, which is great. Um, we appreciate that. And, uh, it definitely, Definitely fills a need, so that's always a that's always a plus as well. So we're happy to to be able to do that. And like Mike said earlier, um, every actually every copy through the the month of November um, that we sell, we're we're going to go back and donate uh, a portion of those sales to uh, a church. Actually, there's several churches tied into it, but there's uh, a church in in Florida that was really impacted by Hurricane Ian. And they're doing some great work in the community. So um, we're partnering with them to to provide some financial support for that. And so um, I think right now we're up to, I want to say about 150 uh, in donations. So it doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, every little bit helps, you know, for those folks because they're still, still dealing with stuff. And yep. uh, for the church, that helps them. Uh, provide food and and different things for um, for the that community. So good stuff. Yeah. And um, also, as as always, um, the ticket sales are are live for our conference uh, next year, twenty twenty three. It'll be in O'Fallon, Missouri, outside of of St. Louis. And uh, you can visit churchsafetyconference dot com and uh, get your ticket. Fantastic deal. We've partnered with uh, a few great organizations and, and a church out there. So it's, uh, I believe it's $59 a person, uh, and that includes lunch for the day. So a great, a great deal. And then, um, honestly, we've got a, a whole fantastic lineup of speakers. Uh, part of the sale of the tickets actually supports the uh, chaplain organization for the O'Fallon Police Department. And uh, if you are interested in bringing your team, there's some pretty, pretty amazing uh, discounts for that as well. And we've had uh, quite a few churches uh, reach out to us and say they were going to come out and, and wanted to meet us and wanted to have uh, wanted to bring their whole church and whole team. So um, our content for the day, you know, again, 
Um, we're going to have some of our guests on there. We're going to talk about uh, starting a team, running a team, some of our, our ministry life cycle, sustaining a team and, and that sort of thing. And um, it'll be a lot of it'll be a lot of fun. So you don't want to miss it if you live in the Midwest. And uh, Mike said he's he's willing to sign books for whoever's there. So <laughs> it's still it still drives me crazy. Not I shouldn't say crazy. Crazy is the wrong word. It still it still surprises me every time. It shouldn't at this point because it's like there's been enough conferences and enough times. But it, it, it's really weird to still sign a book because I'm like, oh, it is. <laughs> I, I mean, rewind a couple of years. I'm like, I didn't think I'd have one book, let alone what one two three four i think five now so uh, something like that yeah it's pretty crazy <laughs> something like that but yeah it is it is it is crazy so anyhow so we'll jump into the the topic uh for this broadcast so uh our guest is terry vaughn and uh terry i'm just going to read his background real quick and then we'll bring him in so terry is a body language speaker uh, leader, speaker, author, and former British Royal Marines commando. Um, and he's created several fantastic workshops uh, instructing people on uh, body language and also uh, has published a book. And last but not least is, or actually was, a competitor on History Channel's Top Shot So on season four. So I'll bring him in. So again, sir, welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight. I appreciate you inviting me on. So we'll we'll just jump right into it. So if you could, for, for our listeners that maybe don't, don't know who you are, don't recognize your name, how did you get into the topic of body language? Because to go from I don't know to go from the the military to top shot to <laughs> now an expert in body language. Some might not draw that that connection. <laughs> yeah, where's the where's the intersecting line? Well, sure. <laughs> the journey into body language kind of happened by accident, as as good things often do. Sometimes, I taught combatives for about fifteen years, so Muay Thai, kickboxing, okay. edge weapons, tactical firearms. So after getting out of the military, I taught people how to fight, but a part of the curriculum always involved how not to fight because let's face it, that's the only fight you can guarantee winning. So I always try to encourage people, regardless of how much of a badass they are to, Hey, use your head. If you can get out of there, do that because a lot less paperwork involved, but that's where the <laughs> sure. curriculum began. And then I reached a certain age where getting punched in the face for Muay Thai gets really old. So I decided <laughs> maybe there's another way. And actually, I had a, a company reached out and said they wanted to do something with their employees, maybe a little different. And could I come in and present on something? And I thought, oh, well, what about safety? How about personal safety for your employees? And that's where it ultimately began. Awesome. That's that's quite the. Yeah, I think I would get tired of at some point. <laughs> we just don't bounce of, the way we used to when we were young. You know, yes. back when you're in your this 20s, is true. you get punched and beaten up. You're like, okay, yeah, I can take it. This is pretty good. It's in the 40s. You're, you know what, actually? <laughs> <This is good. laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I know I, I think back to Mike and Mike and I did a class a couple of years. Well, now it's a couple of years it's, ago. Yeah. In, in St. Louis, it was a, an executive protection class where we put mm -hmm. a lot of those, those fundamentals together. And I ended up being the, the, um, 
I almost principal. said dummy, <laughs> the principal. <laughs> and uh, I felt like a dummy because I was getting thrown into the yep. back of a, of a uh, Chevy Tahoe for quite a few, <laughs> quite a few <laughs> practice rounds and, and whisked away. And it was so funny because at the, at the end, I think it was a three, a three day thing. But by the time I got home, uh, I walked in the door and my wife being the gracious wife that she is, she's like, Hey, I scheduled you an appointment with the chiropractor. <laughs> and I, I was like, wow, thank you so much. And she's like, I figured you would kind of be sore after, <laughs> after three days in the middle of, you know, nowhere being not just sore, training. I mean, mentally exhausting. It was intense, well, intense yeah. level of training. And, and mm -hmm. I think it was good to be able to kind of join in and, and take it. We've obviously all trained separately, but to be able to do the same training, uh, that was kind of a, a good opportunity, but yeah, it was the mental, uh, preparation going through the class because the final of it was a kind of a live real world scenario. Now it, it wasn't sure. real as in we weren't actually protecting a real principal, but we had a scenario and we had real attackers, uh, try to intercept. And so there were multiple, uh, setups around that. Anyhow, it was a really good experience, both the physical and mental taxing, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. of it that really put us through the ringer. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and that's the thing is that you're keeping you training as realistic as possible, as advantageous, because I don't think anywhere, any of us really know, well, how are we going to do? We can imagine mm -hmm. ourselves performing brilliantly, but until we're put under pressure, we're not going to know. And that was one of the things Ooh. I stressed to the people I was training. I mean, this is fun, and yeah, we'll get in shape, and it'll be a good time, but every once in a while, I'm going to punch you in the face, and we're going to see how you deal with it. And that was you know, male and female clients. And then initially it was funny because some of the women I, and when i say i punch them in the face very nicely of course the women <laughs> what surprised and they get really mad about it but after a time if they didn't have that interaction and that sparring the real putting some pressure on them they'd start coming mm -hmm. back with it. it's been a few weeks or a couple of months since you punched me in the face I, i'm ready to go there like let's let's do this and yeah, yeah. fantastic right because they <laughs> yeah. knew that they were you know, shaping and getting better and, and learning the things they needed to do and be able to do them under pressure. Indeed. For Real sure. world versus what the book says, so to speak. Yes. I mean, you can you can read about it all day long. You can tabletop it all day long. But until mm -hmm. you're literally under that stress situation, even if it's with role players, I think that's a that's a big one, too. I, I work with yeah. our local police department and sometimes uh, we're bringing in role players to uh, actually stress test us in scenarios and and patrol procedures and other sorts of pieces. And, and I'm mm -hmm. not an officer but we're put out there in situations that can certainly put us at risk. So we're tested yeah. the same way that the officers are. For sure. For sure. So let's, <clears throat> let's just jump into it. Um, mastering body language. We have about 40 minutes, 30 minutes. So <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm just pack it in. <laughs> no, no kidding. Um, I'm just laughing. I'm chuckling because of, of what you said before we went on air, which was that you're, you're always trying to cram everything into that, but mm -hmm. into such a short time period. So we may have to have you come back <laughs> for another, another part broadcast two. Yep. part two, but um, so our, a lot of times our folks are, um, 
are individuals that are either on like a hospitality team, a security team, mm -hmm. or uh, typically, you know, they're standing by the door, they're greeting, they're looking for different things that might pose a risk for places of worship, churches, that sort of thing. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And, and what are some things that, uh, that individuals can look for or see as maybe a red flag or something of, of concern on that topic? Well, and I always start this because duh, dangerous individual recognition training is body language, mindset, and strategy. But I always start with the mindset and strategy first, because I think each mm -hmm. individual most of us, at least to some degree, I think are curious about body language and nonverbal communication because it's an interesting topic. But the reality is sure. we need to know ourselves first. If we if we don't understand how we're processing sensory information, there's a very real chance we're going to miss the signals anyway. So if right. I can just jump back for a second, we see a lot less of the environment and the details of the people we interact with than we think we do. Uh, we're, we're typically seeing around one and a half degrees field of view in foveal vision or HD vision. So if we accept that our vision isn't quite as miraculous as we think it is and apply additional effort to the screening process from the outset, then we're more likely to be able to take in much more detail than perhaps we would have done otherwise. But in many cases, most people don't even realize how limited that HD vision is. So, and I don't know if you guys know this, but if you put your thumb out at arm's distance, literally, mm -hmm. depending on how athletic your thumb is, that's around one and a half degrees field of view. And literally, if you bring up both of your thumbs together at arm's reach, you'll notice you can only actually visually focus on one thumb or the other, which starts to give you an idea about what that foveal cone of vision actually is so if you're standing looking at someone and trying to assess them you're you're a greeter you know at, at a house of worship and you're looking at them in the eyes you can't see what the hands have you know and vice versa if you look in the hands you can't see what the face is doing so mm -hmm. before you get to the point where there's an interaction we want to already have acknowledged that unless i physically and cognitively or consciously look to the hands to see what where they are or, or what they may be carrying we may already have missed something. So long before we, we've got to an interaction, we want to know, okay, I need to apply physical effort to scanning the entire person, you know, head to toe. Now, if you do this with a smile on your face and, you know, a little bit of a, a, a twinkle in the eye, you can get away with murder. And if you're, if you're doing it in a more traditional security sense where we're just screening everybody, well, yes, then suddenly it gets weird. And the problem with that is, of course, is their baseline behavior or what's normal for them. So one of the things I always try to encourage when it comes to security is that there is a time and a place for mean security to sort of put some intimidation and the fear of into someone. But we do much better overall if we approach our interactions with a nice friendly smile and leverage something called isopraxism or limbic synchrony, and it's mirroring. So if you smile as they're approaching the door, you've already done a quick scan of the hands and you, you've taken in the hands are empty and they look at this point fairly normal and you smile at them, it's very likely that unless there is some level of emotional duress that they're under, some stress, some pre-plan that's gone into them doing something nefarious, that that instantaneous mirroring will occur and the smile will mm -hmm. occur. And from that, we can baseline how natural the smile evolves because whenever we experience an emotion there's often a chemical that goes along with that felt emotion which means each 
emotional display has a shelf life. We instinctively know that if somebody smiles at us and then the smile goes, likelihood it was never real in the first place. We get an instantaneous read that it feels fake. Well, the reason it's fake is because the, the chemicals that produce the emotion were never really there. So somebody has manifested strategically an expression that they're not really feeling. So one of the first things to do is to be as friendly as you can be while still assessing. It takes the edge off the stare, but also look for the timing of reciprocal expressions or the mirroring expressions that you're likely to experience when you smile at an individual as they approach you. What is the quality of their smile back? Do you see the little crinkles at the corners of the eyes, a Duchenne smile? Does it fade under its, under natural steam or is it somewhat forced or contrived? What we're ultimately looking for at every interaction are behaviors that are either above or below baseline, more than expected or less than expected. And that includes timing, duration, enthusiasm, all of the components that make up what under normal circumstances would be a normal interaction. You can see how this seven hours, sure. right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I'm like, okay, I'm loving this. I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, people out there are probably feverishly writing notes down and can't keep up uh, because there's, this is good stuff. <laughs> That's great. Well, it, it is, it is good stuff. And it's interesting that, you know, I, I've thought about the process, but I've never thought about how much percentage wise an individual can actually miss by not, by, you know, not doing what you just suggested. And so, mm -hmm. because to me, um, you know, and, and I've spent a little bit of time reading books on the topic and trying to apply that, um, those principles and that sort of thing. And so oftentimes when I'm, I'm training folks that I do that sort of thing with, I'll say, you know, you look at the hands, you look at the face and, and identify that as much as possible, but not, not knowing what I don't know, missing things like that. Um, that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's important. And that combined with, you know, adding that hospital, hospitable interaction of smiling and being genuine. Um, it just, I guess it just kind of emphasizes how important it is to be genuine in that type of situation and not, not be fake because if you're being fake, then that's, that can be easily noticed. So. Yep. Well, it goes, yeah, it, it goes it right back into, oops, sorry, go ahead, Terry. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to tie it back to, uh, James and I have both had, uh, retail management years ago in our career and so forth. So if you just think of a, a loss prevention strategy mirrors that uh, or behaves that way right off the bat is you're constantly greeting or welcoming a person into a store because mm -hmm. you're trying to, one, they need to acknowledge that they, I see you. We know you've walked in this store. You're trying to gauge whether or not that person is on a mission. Are they here for the wrong reason or do they need help? And you're trying to be helpful at the same time, but you're putting them on notice that they're seen. So it, it translates in the same way. We're not necessarily doing that in a church because we're not saying, hey, we're scrutinizing. Are you here to steal something? But more mm -hmm. in a, hey, greeter sense in the same way, 
but yes, I love the mirroring. I've, I've definitely seen the behavior and, and why I teach the guys to, to not stand there with their arms crossed because you're creating a cold and closed off uh, appearance right from the beginning. And you want them, you want their guard to come down. You want them to engage and be friendly, to smile. Uh, great point there, Terry, is to really assess and understand okay, are, are all their screws there or are there a few loose or is there some <laughs> other thing at play here? Exactly. Well, the other benefit to not having your arms folded is, you know, in many church settings now, the security teams are armed. They've got concealed carry and they have other or other self-defense mm-hmm. tools as is necessary given the, the the possibility at least that somebody may come in there and do real harm. So having your arms folded is, is ultimately an additional move you've got to make to be able to get to whatever tool you're going to use. So, you know, there are a number of different reasons to not have your arms folded. And for most people, there's an inherent bias in the perception of arms folded being closed off. And in some cases it is. Now, there are some cases where that's just normal behavior. Somebody's comfortable with their arms folded. What we want to do sure. is to lean in as much as possible to to the positive attributes and behaviors that welcome people in. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. It's 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 welcome in anyone that wants to attend that is there for the right mm-hmm. reasons. You know, come along. But anyone that isn't, of course, now okay. Well, we're looking for these behavioral indicators above or below baseline that give us some clues that maybe they're not you know quite squared away. It, it, it always entertains me when I go through the airport to travel to speak. And, you know, occasionally I'll come across a TSA agent. It will give you the stink eye and they'll say, you know, where are you flying from today, sir? You know, who did you pack your bag? <laughs> and invariably I draw a complete blank. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going now because you are scaring me. Yeah. Why can't you just, you know, <laughs> smile? Give me so give me a Because a genuine smile in return tells you a lot about the emotional state of the individual. Now, do we yeah. need to be able to recognize a genuine smile beyond mere timing yes because there are so many types of smiles that can be used as a mask to hide other emotions so in addition sure. to uh, just as we're sort of on the smiling topic anyway the in addition to the crow's feet at the corners of the eyes we're looking for the cheeks to be bunched the zygomatic major pulls those up we're looking for a horseshoe shape underneath the lower portion of the eyelid because the muscle around the eye orbicularis oculi when it contracts this way it kind of lifts the eye up it gives us you know this little pinching here that causes the horseshoe We're also looking for a vast reduction in sclera or the whites of the eyes, because when somebody genuinely smiles, their eyes will close down and narrow considerably. So if somebody's got bunched cheeks but wide eyes, unless there's a medical reason for why that individual has that expression, it's very likely that that individual is forcing some type of of smile but not actually feeling the emotion that goes along with it so we have if you think about it conflicting muscular engagement bunching and widening so those two things are in contrast with one another they they're they're competing one is supposed to be telling us that they're happy but the wider the eyes go the less likely that emotion is genuine so there's and usually during my presentations, we've just got pictures and videos going up left and right. So you're not having to just keep looking at my mug, acting it out. But <laughs> if you think about that kind of disparity between, okay, how mm-hmm. much of the whites the eyes are showing? Do I see a little horseshoe? Are there crinkles here? Does it feel then on top of that genuine? Okay, well, great. Now we've got something to work on in terms of measuring the, the genuine emotion behind 
a, a true, a true smile versus a fake one or a forced one. Mm. It's interesting. You mentioned the, the TSA I I've had to fly quite a bit lately and, um, we, as a, as a family, we were flying from Ohio to California and it's, it's interesting to me that most of the TSA folks, they try and put that, that like aggressive, like, you know, stink eye or what you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting to me is the ones that are actually friendly and understand, you know, and be empathetic mm -hmm. of you having a family smiling, relaxed, um, to me, it just seems like they're more effective at screening people. <laughs> um, yes. you know, and it's interesting because, um, we were flying, uh, a couple months ago and my son <laughs> who is 11, uh, decides that he, he's going to take one snack with him. And so he packs this, um, gallon size or quart size Ziploc bag of Starburst candy and he shoved like two pounds of candy into this little <laughs> Ziploc bag. And so, uh, you know, I put his backpack in my backpack. So obviously as it goes through the, the, the scanner TSA is like, what in the world is this solid condensed product that's in the Ziploc bag? So, you know, the, the guy, uh, one of the, the, uh, senior officers steps, steps over to me and he said, sir, can you come over here, please? So we can check your bag. And I'm going through my mind, like, oh my goodness, what did I leave in my bag? You know, you know, because exactly. So he, he starts opening it and he's like, do you have anything in here? And he's asking me the questions. And then he, he reaches in and he's like, oh, this is what it is. And so he pulls out this giant, gigantic bag of, of candy. And, um, he said, you know, this kind of, we, this got flagged on the system because of how dense it is. And it clicked in my mind. Oh, okay. And so at that point in time, you know, you think about <clears throat> someone's intent and interaction. I mean, he could have very easily been rude or aggressive or said, you know, you can't have this, you, you know, this is crazy, that sort of thing. And so he really, he looked down, he saw my son standing there and he started teasing my son and he said, Hey, can I have, you know, can I have one of the pink ones and, you know, starts cracking jokes and different things. And then I started laughing. And so then, you know, it was just the three of us and it was a much more pleasant experience. And I'm sure from his perspective, looking back on that, it was also very easy for him to, to tell that, you know, our intent wasn't something more nefarious, like you mentioned earlier, but the, the reality to me is I think a lot of, a lot of times and, and Mike and I have, have talked repeatedly to churches, um, that, you know, tend to try and have a security guard or tend to be very, um, uh, almost stoic with their security presentation. And so oftentimes we, you know, we have to coach folks on that and just saying, Hey, if, you know, if you're, if you're more hospitable, if you're more pleasant, oftentimes you can get more information back than just, mm -hmm. you know, just being there as a guard and, and, uh, unattached guard with your arms crossed or something of that sort. So. Yeah, your demeanor impacts other people exponentially. I mean, there's a couple of parts to every interaction. There are signals you're giving off, the signals the other person's giving off, and then the interplay between those two sets of signals or what most people commonly know as rapport. And when we play nicely with 
others and give them a reason to play nicely with us, as long as there's no other negative emotions at play inside that person's head, there's a very real likelihood that we're going to get a lot more information, both non-verbally and verbally, than we would have being stoic. And I didn't, when I left the military, I, I very much had the air of what you might imagine a commando has. Everywhere we go, if I'm, scan, if I'm scanning the environment, I look very much like this. Everywhere we would go. My wife mm -hmm. would harass me and say, that is not a very good place. And I'm like, this is the only one I've got. You married it, like your choice. And it really only got brought home. We were at, you'll have to forgive me, I was at a Bon Jovi concert with her. And I'm scanning the crowd. And my foot's tapping, which is a good signal that I'm enjoying the music. But my face hasn't been informed that I'm having fun. <laughs> and about five rows in front of us, a fight breaks out. And the girlfriend to whoever this guy was having a fight started climbing over these seats coming back towards me. And she said, help, my boyfriend's having a fight. And I, lady, you went past three people in orange vests that literally say security on it. Why are you coming <laughs> to me? And she looked me up and down and said, you've got to be security. And I'm thinking my wife may be onto something. Because <laughs> at that point I started getting the requisite elbows in the side. And she, she says, I've been telling you. And so I have worked very hard since leaving the military to, to try, you know, being a, a much more approachable version. And it helps. And yes, for personal safety. Do we want to be safer? Yeah, absolutely. We need to have that security presence in a number of different environments, including churches. But the reality is the more we give of ourselves, the more confident we are in ourselves, and the more we're able to share a genuine part of ourselves with others, the better the communication goes across the board. So yes, it helps with security, but it also it impacts a variety of different facets of our life, you know, professionally and personally. So if you are confident and you can show that in a relaxed way, you will learn oodles more than you will trying to be stoic and some sort of a hard ass when really the goal here is to make people feel welcome to to relax so that you can identify the people who are not relaxed right that's the goal Absolutely. and we say even add empathy into it too is we were talking about the Absolutely. tsa if the tsa agent can actually empathize to the point where they understand how stressful it is to uh bring kids through an airport it's so <laughs> you're already stressed traveling as it is so put yourself in the shoes of the parents maybe they're not necessarily trying to do something or break the law or get something through security they're just stressed because they're trying to get kids through an airport in the same <laughs> yeah. way think about it think about it from a standpoint of getting your kids into church how often I even find myself getting my kids in and it's five, 10 minutes after the hour and they're already through worship and they're already starting the, the <laughs> preachers are already starting to preach. And mm -hmm. I'm just getting my seat, catching my breath from getting three kids into three different classrooms, getting out of the car after barely getting a bite to eat. So it, it's understanding the situations that everybody coming in with is and then mm -hmm. saying, OK, again, that you mentioned baseline. So for my baseline on an average Sunday, if I'm not working it's probably elevated and stressed and saying, Oh my gosh, where's he running? Well, no, I'm mm -hmm. not missing a flight. I'm just trying to get my kids to Sunday <laughs> church. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you bring up empathy because how do you in nonverbal terms as let's say the greeter at the door, how do you express empathy? What is it that you would do in order to facilitate sharing that sense to somebody else? Mm. 
You tell me. I'm asking. It's, what do you do oh, right absolutely. now? It's the behavior. It's display? acknowledging them. Absolutely. Well, you display it by mirroring is one of those. Uh, you try to be warm. You try to be uh, understanding and say, okay, I'm, I'm looking not through you, not just scanning you for purposes of doing my job, but to try to say, I want to understand it. So it's, it's seeking to understand, not just seeking to scan at that point. The three active things that you can do to help promote a sense of empathy, even when empathy may not be needed because not everybody arriving at a location is already stressed. Most people are, you know, hopefully are in a pretty good mood or a neutral mood, but we still need to give them a sense of we are in tune with them. And one thing yep. that men are usually not very good at is head tilts and women you will find usually are really good at this, this is why you should always have women on your security detail at any location. First of all, they're usually better at reading people than men are anyway, unless they've had training. And so it, it's always good to have that instinctive uh, woman's touch. But one of the things that women will do is to tilt their head when they're talking to people. And what will happen if rapport is beginning is the head tilt of the other person will likely go. So it, it's, it's more than just hmm. smiling, of course. And it's you as the greeter initiating that. Because again, three parts of the interaction, right? Your signals, you at that moment are the dominant individual. You're the gatekeeper. Yes, you are the greeter, but to most regulars, they're going to know you're on the security detail. So there's a sense that they are answering to you, even though they're not answering to you. You're, you're the person mm -hmm. they have to get past. So if, as they approach you, you already have a little head tilt, a very, very slight lean forward, and then a little bit of a smile, and perhaps even just a slight lowering the the tone of voice. Hey, how are you guys doing today? You sort of push it just a little bit. So it's a little breathy. It gives the impression of excitement, empathy, and rapport in very quick order. And it sets the tone. It gives the other person something non-verbally to anchor to and to mirror back rather than you waiting for the signal to be given to you. You initiate. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you do this. You have a little head tilt, a little smile, a little bit of a lean forward. You ask them, hey, how are you doing today? They stay rigid. There's very little expression. I'm fine. I'm doing good. That is an immediate disconnect and immediately uh, at least one minor, possibly major red flag that behaviorally they're not matching you. So now we can sure. engage in further conversation. So I'm sort of jump back there a little bit because James had asked, you know, talking about red flags. This is sure. one way to utilize mirroring and limbic synchrony in a strategic way that doesn't give any impression that you're there to, to be a, a doorkeeper. I'm stopping people from coming in. You're a greeter. You're an empathetic, rapport-building, friendly individual who just happens to have seen a behavioral indicator that doesn't match. It isn't. It's either below or above baseline. And now we've got something we can we can talk to further during this interaction. That's great. for sure. I, you know, I go going back to the Bon Jovi concert real quick. So. One of the one of the things that that I used to do at my church was between services, I would do a quick sweep of our sanctuary or where where people congregate and look at people watch you know, watching them as they come in, their mannerisms, body language, watch if they have backpacks, that sort of thing. And I always tell this story. But what's interesting to me is kind of like what you said, my, my face wouldn't necessarily catch up with my thought process that everything's okay. And so mm -hmm. what I realized was that, 
um, after several of the the leaders came to me and they said, is something wrong? Cause you're, you're standing there and you have this like scowl on your face. And I'm like, no, everything's fine. And they're like, well, you have a scowl on your face and you're walking up and down the aisles, like shaking hands with people, but you have a scowl, like, mm-hmm. scowl on your face. <laughs> and so that for me, it was a challenge, but it, it, you know, made me realize, oh, wait a second. You know, I do need to be intentional about being more relaxed and more in- energetic and, and interactive with not not a fake smile, but, you know, with with that presentation, because other individuals that know my position in the church, as far as being head of security and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. were taking that as a signal that something was wrong. And in fact, yeah. you know, something wasn't wrong. It was me, you know, me doing what I do normally, but at the same time, you know, just that, that interaction. And I, and I appreciate people mentioning it to me because, you know, that, that allowed me to adjust it and realize, okay, you know, when, when I'm in deep thought, I, apparently my face looks like I'm, you know, mad at people mm-hmm. or something instead of being hospitable. But, well, I'm, I'm introspective enough and, and an introvert enough to know that a good portion of that type of facade is born of the fear that we're going to miss something. And of course, you know, the sure. two things go hand in hand. There's the fear of missing something, but there's also a little bit of fear of the unknown. If we don't know where the threat might materialize, we feel as if we got to watch everything and at the same time. And that fear often acts as a dampener to any type mm-hmm. of positive emotion, because if something bad kicks off, your mindset is, oh, I got a deal. I got to save lives. I've got to do this. I got to do it quickly. But the reality is until we get to the point where something actually kicks off, we can screen people just as effectively if we know what we're looking for and when to look for it with a smile on our face as we can with the scowl. It just takes a little bit of effort to acknowledge, okay, why am I feeling the need to be here and how do I change that? Well, the reality is, you know, statistically speaking, it's it's possible but not probable that something bad is going to happen so why am i putting on a facade that that is is there for the one percent that something bad may transpire when 99 percent of the time everything's fine you have to of course be on guard ready to go you've got your plan everybody is on the same page but your behavior is impacted by a lot of those different emotions so if you are able to self-assess and realize okay Mm -hmm. well why am i feeling like that this is the the place for me to be when this is a much better and much, much easier one for everybody else to deal with, then you can, you can make some adjustments. I feel like you can fine tune a little easier, but it does take some introspection to figure out why you were there in the first place. That's an, that's an excellent point because honestly, we, we deal with that all, all the time of individuals that it's like, okay, you know, it's, and maybe maybe part of this is the topic, maybe part of it's the media. I'm not really sure, but oftentimes when when the idea of church security or place of worship security is presented, um, you know, we regularly see the idea of active shooter that comes, you know, mm-hmm. that comes across as oftentimes like the number one priority. When in fact, this statistics show with the FBI and law enforcement that it's a very minuscule amount right. and we can, we can instruct folks on handling awkward situations or potentially dangerous situations with investing time in de-escalation and understanding, 
you know, body language and mental health and all of those extra components that um, oftentimes get overlooked because the big flashy thing is active shooter, you know? And mm -hmm. so, um, and you know, we've said, we've said that before, it's not like that's not an important thing to train or to be prepared for, but you know, oftentimes, um, you know, when you deescalate or when, when you're interacting with someone and you're trying to deescalate the situation, your body language is extremely important. And so right. if you're not connecting with that, if you're standing there, you know, being somewhat aggressive or not even aggressive, but if you're perceived as being aggressive or yep. perceived as security, then that can throw, um, uh, in, an easily resolved situation into something that's far more complicated to resolve because that person interprets your, your body language as, you know, being hostile or something of that. You generate a false positive yeah. because you create somebody else's reaction that was ne not necessary. Now they're yeah. reacting to you because they're like provoked, essentially not not in the sense where it's anger or things, but all of a sudden they're caught off guard because they feel like, oh, I'm being scrutinized or you're judging me or I'm doing something wrong when all I did was walk through the door. No, you're mm -hmm. not necessary. So you can you can create that false uh, alert where it's now jumping out at you and saying, wait, something's wrong with this guy. Something doesn't look right as, as we see a lot of people talk about, well, that doesn't look right is because they're not feeling right because you didn't look right. So it's, it's all a domino <laughs> effect. It is. It becomes a vicious circle. Yep. Yeah. And That's you know, true. if you think about it, if somebody's already, you know, feels as if they're under a lot of pressure or that something in their life has, has acted as a stressor, you're, adding to that and ratcheting up that internal um, mm -hmm. pressure and, and chemical into the system. It, it, it's a recipe for disaster when a nice sympathetic, Hey, you know, what, what, what seems to be going on? And again, you know, softening the tone, leaning in, repeating back what they say and not in a mechanical parrot fashion, but a true connection with another human being that says, Hey, I, I hear you. And that, that sounds terrible. You know, what, what how can I help you? I, I mean, I don't know, you know, in this hypothetical, what we're going to say, because a lot of it would depend on the behavior and the words from that individual, but it, sure. we're just taking the edge off because the moment, you know, emotionally they escalate past a certain point, it takes that one nudge. And now, you know, the prefrontal cortex shuts off, the primitive brain takes over, and they're in the, the fight portion of, you know, freeze, flight, or fight. So mm -hmm. your behavior absolutely can impact that. And taking a, I can, I can probably de-escalate this with always in the back of the mind that if I can't, I'm ready to go. It doesn't, none of what I'm saying in terms of rapport building and putting the other person at ease and being a, a good greeter with rapport and empathy, takes away and against the fact that you still have to be ready. You still have mm -hmm. to have a plan ready to go and know what your skill set is and what the distance that you're working to and who's going to be helping you. Yes, that's all there still. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you can probably, in most cases, take some of that stress off and bring the situation down, de-escalate, and, and nothing bad happens. Nothing beyond perhaps just, you know, for a few moments, people are like, what's going on? And then it just fades away into the background a non-issue, which is sure. ideal. Yeah. 
There's sure. a there is a so much good here uh, that, that you're unpacking, Terry. I think I want to throw one last question as we kind of wrap up here with uh, running out of time, really to kind of look at the, those individuals that are meaning harm, that do have ulterior motives, that are perhaps walking through the church. What what can you tell those lay folks, those ushers, those folks that are volunteering to be safety team members that don't do this for a living, didn't didn't necessarily have military training, don't train with the police department, any of those things? What should they be looking for? First thing is a mechanical or, or wooden nature to the movements. When someone's in predatory mode, just as we do when we when we genuinely are out hunting for our you know that white-tailed deer, there's a limitation or a restriction in movement that often occurs when we're in predatory mode. Now, it can be to attract less attention. So the upper body isn't as mobile. It just looks a little bit uh, wooden, but it can also be because they are concealing. And in most cases, because we've been lucky so far, most shooters being literally zero training, that, you know, they've got something stuck in their big jacket or, you know, in the pants with no holster. So there can be a limitation and a wooden element to how they move because they don't want that that weapon whatever it is to move shift and relocate when they're not you know before they're ready to draw it mm-hmm. so we're mm-hmm. looking for a restriction or a limitation in movement and also a restriction and limitation in head movement the eyes may lock off now with suicide bombers for instance they tend to get transfixed there's a they visually focus on a point in space ahead of them and and they move to it and they seem oblivious to everything else that's going on and active shooters sometimes can uh, reveal the same types of fixed uh, fixed vision behavior but you'll often see someone that's got this wooden type movement the head isn't moving a great deal but the eyes are still going as they as they start either picking out targets or trying to identify the people that are going to stop them so you know you get this you end up with if you think in layman's terms shifty eyes the head is not moving too much. The upper body's a little wooden. The arms are not swinging the way you might expect. There just seems to be an element that's a little off. That, in conjunction with fixed vision and or shifty eyes, could be an indicator that individual has experienced some sort of uh, break and, and is heading towards um, getting ready to start on some sort of an attack. Very good. Well, um Unfortunately, we're kind of out of time and I, I, I say very much say, unfortunately, cause I feel like I could probably throw some more questions and <laughs> well, I feel like, I feel like he was given some of our uh, audience a masterclass here and there's, yeah, <laughs> as we said, we're trying to, to, to squeeze this all into 35, 40 minutes really of, of airtime. And it, there's a lot there to unpack. We, we say that a there lot. Is. And I think the good mm. thing we try to do with the show is is really try to introduce people to concepts. It's not going to drain everything. It's not something that's going to take the place of a class. Hopefully it piques enough interest to say, hey, I want to know more about that. Um, so, Terry, tell, tell more about I, I know James mentioned that that you're published as well. So do you want to talk about your book and where where folks can pick that up? Uh, the book is not with my daughter, a dad's guide to screening dates and boyfriends. So, <laughs> I think I need a copy of that. <laughs> you first, James. I, 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 mine is still too young. I experienced a great deal of panic as my girl started to get to that age where boyfriends were a possibility. And I <laughs> went all in. I'm like, all right, I'm going to share it all. But that's the book. As far as the, the speaking goes, all of the body language is now online as a course. The mindset and strategy portion is still coming, but 
you can find me either for presentations or for the course at tvempowers.com. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again for, for joining us. And uh, hopefully as we, as we rebroadcast and certainly as we, as we put this episode out there, um, we will link back to your website. So if individuals want to take that class or have uh, more, more questions about maybe some training that you can do, they can reach out to you through the website for sure. Um, and That'd be great. like I said, you. I, I definitely, I appreciate your, your being willing to work with us and come on tonight. It's been, it's been great having you on. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Terry. All right. So just to, to wrap up the, the broadcast real quick, um, as always, you can reach out to us through our website, which is churchsafetyguys.com. And uh, feel free to, to reach us, reach out to us if we can help you in your place of worship or church ministry. And uh, also, you can download our free church security app. Uh, there's some great resources on there, and um, that can be reached or downloaded on the Apple Store as well as the Google Play Store. And as always, you can reach out to us through that app as well. So um, beyond that, uh, just to wrap up real quick again um, and mention, if you if you came in halfway through, uh, we have the new four pillars of church safety and security book available, and that's available through Amazon. And, um, every, every copy that we sell in the month of November, we are, uh, donating a portion of that, uh, to some churches in, uh, Florida for the hurricane Ian effort of, uh, supporting communities down there. And so we appreciate, uh, those of you that have purchased that and have helped us with that. And, um, that's still, that's still out there. And hopefully, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, we'll have the companion devotional out as well. So, uh, good stuff, but as always, um, you can visit our website for, uh, events coming up for different conferences that we're doing or uh, co-sponsoring or helping with. And uh, our our national conference is actually in March uh, in St. Louis. And you can purchase tickets through our website, which is churchsafetyconference.com. And um, feel free to reach out to us. And we've got some great speakers lined up. Um, Mike and I are going to be there um, John Riley with general response is going to be there, um, talking about de-escalation, and then, uh, we'll have, uh, Dwayne Harris with full armor church and a few other folks. So it'll be a great day. Um, very reasonably priced, um, specifically to help churches out. And so, uh, we'll have some great, great resources there for you and your team as well. So with that, uh, we will be back next week, Lord willing, and, if we don't have anything pop up with our churches <laughs> and uh, we will uh, talk to you then. So take care. Have a great week. God bless. Brought to you by twowayradiocenter.com, a Motorola value added reseller. Thank you for joining the Church Safety Guys broadcast brought to you by Vigilant Impact. We hope that you found it informative and we appreciate your feedback and interaction. Be sure to share our broadcast with your teams. Join the discussion online 
and connect with us on social media for other great ministry resources, download the Church Security app or at our website at churchsafetyguys.com. Remember, keep a servant's heart, a mindset of ministry, and semper disciplina. Always be training. Have a blessed week.